Well, I hope you brought a Bible with you. We're going to turn to several different passages of Scripture this morning, and it'll be easier for you to read it if you have it in front of you, if we'll be reading them from here, but I think it's beneficial if you also have it. So uh, take your Bibles and turn for start to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll start out there. And the title of the message this morning is Pseudo-Spirituality. That looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. And what does pseudo mean? It's fake. Uh, You can, uh, uh, pseudo spirituality is a fake kind of spirituality. Now there's different levels of pseudo spirituality. And so the first we're going to look at has to do with those who are actually false teachers. Those who are not genuine in their faith, those who are uh, following uh, false teachings. And so first, or Second Corinthians chapter 11 talks about that. And did I say First Corinthians earlier? Second Corinthians chapter 11. If you look with me, please, down in verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. There are people today in places around the world today, and the leaders are holding up this book, the Bible, but they're not teaching the Bible accurately. They're teaching false things um, in contrast to what the Bible really teaches. And then he says, uh, and no wonder, in verse 14... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. I shared before that I had a friend here in town that I'd witnessed to, and he wasn't interested. I'd brought up the Lord several times, and then he had a a major health crisis. And then he came and he said, hey... Terry, you'll be excited to know that I believed on Jesus. And I, well, that's great. How did that happen? Well, an angel showed up in his hospital room and told him Jesus was one of the prophets of God, just like Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad. And so he believed that's not believing in Jesus. Jesus is God the Son and the Son of God. He's not a created being who elevated. He has always been. In fact, he is the creator, Colossians 1.16 says. So this guy was listening to an angel. What was, was that an angel? It was a fallen angel. It was a demon. And this passage of scripture says Satan and his demons appear to be angels of light. But they encourage people to trust anything other than Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. And so there's false teachers and there's false angels, uh, false apostles, and false revelation. And this is pseudo-spirituality. It looks and sounds spiritual. In fact, I was reading this week, uh, I don't recommend you do this, but I googled uh, spiritual maturity. And in the Google thing on spiritual maturity, most of the things that come up, most of the articles say you're not spiritual because you feel like you have the truth 
and you have arrived. But mature spirituality recognizes we just don't know. And we're just hoping. And they're marching toward oblivion, calling themselves mature, but they're not because they're believing false teaching. We base our teaching on the word of God. Uh, Not on what the pastor says or the deacons say or what some angel might say. Uh, In fact, the scripture says if an angel contradicts the word of God, they're false. And we reject them and we ignore them. We follow the word of God, led by the spirit of God, following Christ. Now, the second level of false teaching. First, you have the demonic sense of false teaching. And then you have those who follow religion, but they're not connected with Christ. And there's uh, two passages of scripture I want you to look at. Mark chapter 7, and then we'll look at John chapter 18. Mark chapter 7. And Jesus is talking to, uh, as verse 5 says, the Pharisees and scribes. So in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus answered the Pharisees and scribes, and he said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's saying, listen, you're not following me. You're following a a false teaching by the rabbis. So these are people who should have recognized Christ, and they did not. But they considered themselves spiritual, even more spiritual than Jesus himself. Look at John chapter 18. John 18. This one's almost comical. I mean, it is. If it weren't for the serious setting in which this shows up, what is said here is crazy. In John chapter 18, these people have uh, attacked Christ. They've had a false trial. Uh, The trial, in part, part of it was at night, which was against the law. In the trial, they entertained witnesses who were false witnesses, And they proved them to be false witnesses, but those witnesses did not face any um, legal complications. Uh, Normally in their culture, if you gave false witness, you faced charges. Like today, what's that called in court today? Perjury. Perjury. False testimony. Still, you can be charged for that today. And so they they ignored that. And they knew Jesus was innocent. But they predetermined they wanted to put him to death so they could uh, hold on to their own power. But look at this. Verse number 28. This is almost comical. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the judgment hall or the praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the judgment hall or praetorium lest they should be, what's the next word? Okay. They're putting an innocent man to death, but they're still going through the religious function. They would be defiled, and they wanted to eat the Passover. What was the Passover? It was the, the supper that demonstrated the deliverance God gave from Egypt, but it also looked toward the Christ, the Messiah who would come. They were rejecting the Messiah, but worried about participating in the Passover, 
and they were putting an innocent man to death but worried about defiling themselves. That is pseudo-spirituality. That's fake. And then uh, Romans chapter 10. And you can leave your Bible there for a while. We'll come back to Romans a little bit later, uh, but um, we'll be in chapter 10 right now. Romans chapter 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So first you had the false teachers. This was the demonic and the false apostles. Then you had the leaders who rejected Christ. Now you have the people of Israel who are rejecting their Messiah, the Christ. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have ignored the revelation. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are seeking to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So he's saying, listen, these people, they, they say they want to connect with God, but they reject Jesus, the revelation of God, and God the Son. So false teachers, a pseudo-spirituality. In their culture, these people were perceived to be spiritual. And in our culture, people are perceived to be spiritual. In our culture, there's two men that are addressed by the title, His Holiness. Do you know who they are? The Pope and the Dalai Lama. They're both called His Holiness. Both of these men are not teaching the truth of God's Word. Can a person be saved and be in the Catholic Church? Yes, they can, if they trust Jesus Christ as Savior. They, I don't know why they would stay in the church, because the church itself teaches people to trust the church not to trust the Savior, pray through Mary and the saints instead of praying to the Father in the name of the Son. There's some teachings that are not consistent with Scripture. But a person could believe and trust in Jesus. But these men who the Pope says he is the representative of Christ on earth, but he's ignoring the Word of God. And the Dalai Lama has never trusted or believed in Christ. He believes in himself, his inner light, his inner being. So this is a problem. Pseudo-spirituality is a problem out there, right? But is it a problem in here? Well, uh, Harold Vaughn, a long time ago, at least 20 years ago, wrote about practical atheism. And he wrote that, uh, he told the story of a kid who's on his way home from church and, uh, and the kid's like crying a little bit in the back seat. And the mom and dad are looking at each other and looking at the kid. And dad says, hey, son, uh, wh- what's the problem? Uh, wh- why are you upset? The little boy says, dad, in church this morning, the pastor said, kids need to be raised by Christian parents. And I want to stay with you and mom. <laughs> now, listen, this is... Something that that Harold Vaughn wrote. Within our churches, there are few that deny God with their lips, but millions who deny God with their lives. Living as practical atheists, or as Benjamin would say, moralistic 
therapeutic deists, right? Moralistic, therapeutic deists. Let's look at this first. First word, moralistic. There should be a slide. Moralistic. What does that mean? What are morals? This is, this is why we have such trouble in America. In church, people don't even know what morals are. Okay? It's their values, their honorable behavior, the moral thing. You do things because they're the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. You avoid the wrong things, by the way, and you do the right things. That's moralistic, therapeutic. That Really, Christianity is just to make you feel good. So you can have your best life now, that you can just feel blessed, that you can enjoy the spirit and therapeutic and deist. Deists believe that there was a God and he got things started and then he just kind of backed away. And there are a lot of Christians who act like God is not connected in our daily life. And so you know what we need to do? We need to get super politically active. Now, it, the, God, the Holy Spirit of God can lead you to become politically active. But if you do it out of desperation because God's doing nothing and you've got to do something, that's a problem. And, and we, we manipulate systems and we do things. Uh, people within churches are very superstitious. We expect that if we're relatively faithful to God, he will bless us. That's not always the case. If you tithe... You expect to end up better off financially because you give so God can bless you, right? Give to get to give to... I actually heard a preacher talk about that. You give to the Lord so you can get from the Lord so you can give to the Lord so you can get from the Lord. You, know, you give to the Lord because it's the right thing to do out of a heart of love for the Lord. He blesses you back sometimes with money, sometimes not. Uh, but in this moralistic, therapeutic, pseudo-spirituality, if you sacrifice, you expect a benefit from that sacrifice in this life, preferably immediately, right? If you attend church regularly and tithe, you expect God to protect you from most of the problems of life. <laughs> My mom one time, uh, they had a, a car breakdown and their pool pump went out and some other big financial expense at their house. And the first question mom said to dad, have you been paying our tithe? <laughs> she was being silly, but a lot of people really think that way. Um, if you have something that drives you to prayer, what do you need to do? Get lots of people to pray, right? Because if you get lots of people praying, then God has to listen. Is that what James said? James said, the effectual fervent prayer of one righteous person avails much. You don't need to get lots of people. To, it's not wrong to ask people to pray with you, but it's wrong to feel a desperate need to have people pray with you. God listens to you. Ministry should be joyful and rewarding, and it is, but it's often rewarding afterward, right, Tim? He's going to go up. They're going to spend, Tim and Clarina are going to spend a week at camp. Jim's going to go up next Sunday afternoon, drive the kids up to camp, and, and they're going to be up there all week. And by the end of the week, do you feel blessed? Uh, by the end of the week, you feel exhausted. This is the first year in 23 years I haven't been able to work at camp. And when I worked at camp, the first, you come back, you're exhausted. Back, way back when, I used to work three weeks in a row at camp. 
And then I'd come home and take three days to sleep. Uh, But it is rewarding, but it's usually rewarding afterward. Most of the time after Awana, we're exhausted going home. After church, Kathy and I are exhausted for the ministry that we do on Sundays. And uh, if you're a Christian, doing Christian things, you expect God to bless and enrich your life. So you'll be healthier, wealthier, and wiser, right? Your kids will be obedient, intelligent, and talented. Maybe they'll just be sinful because that's where everybody starts out. Uh, You'll flourish on the job. Wait, what? You could get fired for something you didn't do? And you're a Christian? Why would God let that happen? Uh, You're not going to experience major problems with your home, with your friends, with your neighbors, and especially not within your church, right? And, and we exalt religious leaders. So I have been the pastor here. Next week will be 20, or 19 years that we've been here. And I started to say 29. Well, 19 years in pastor years, that's like 64. You know, pastor years are like dog years. And it just, but anyway, um, when you, 19 years, and, and some people are, wow, He's been around so long. You know what could happen this coming week before our anniversary next Sunday? I could do something this week that would disqualify me from being a pastor. And, and people see old guys who've been in the ministry for a long time, and they just kind of exalt them. And, and we even had a situation where uh, somebody did something extremely inappropriate and sinful, and when confronted got upset, and other people got upset that we didn't just let it go because he's so spiritual. We're accountable to the Word of God. Every one of us is accountable to the Word of God. No one is exempt. And we have this um, moralistic, therapeutic, pseudo-spirituality. Looking, I mean, sorry, looks can be deceiving. All right, here you go. Ready? We redefine things so they don't sound so much like sin, right? I'm not worried, just concerned. See, you guys got this down, don't you? I'm not angry, just upset or frustrated. I'm not bitter. I'm just disappointed. Not bitter. Disappointed enough to look like a prune, but not bitter. I'm not gossiping. I'm sharing a prayer request. Yeah. Jerry had that down. Jerry used to be in charge of our prayer list for many years. We had this prayer chain where people would call. Now we use the one call or email because it goes out to everybody and it stays the same. Uh, One time, uh, uh, Kathy had called Jerry to tell her I was really sick. And so Jerry put out the prayer chain. And this was quite a few years ago. And the prayer chain, well, you know, a couple hours later, Kathy got a call from somebody expressing sympathy that I died. (laughs) She said, what? Well, I got a call on the prayer chain. (laughs) So now we have one message that goes out to everybody and it doesn't get distorted. But uh, I'm not gossiping. I'm just sharing a prayer concern. I'm not proud I'm just recognizing the gifts the Lord has given me. Come on. 
We're couching it in terms, but it's still pseudo-spirituality. It looks like it's spiritual, but it's not. In your bulletin, uh, there's a verse from Proverbs. Um, I forgot to bring my bulletin up here, so I'll just look it up. Proverbs 28, verse 13, in your bulletin, I want to read it together as soon as I find it, okay? Proverbs 28, verse 13. And this is going to be a memory verse for this month. We'll get that out in a one call later this week. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Cover up your sin. No, you confess it. You forsake it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. If we don't confess our sins, he is faithful and just not to forgive us and to hold us fully accountable for those sins. We have a responsibility. So what does authentic spirituality look like? Authentic spirituality. What does that look like? Ready? (laughs) You see it? You see it? Okay, it's not your pastor. It's your Savior. That's what authentic Christianity looks like. Now, I want you to think about a few things that we will see if somebody is authentic in their spirituality. I told you in Romans 10, we were going to come back to Romans. Look at Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul shares his heart about how broken he is, about how uh, frustrated he is with his own struggles with sin. Because sometimes what he wants to do, he does not do. What he thinks he should do, he doesn't do. And then he ends up doing things he doesn't want to do and knows he shouldn't do. And he feels frustrated over this ongoing struggle with sin in his life. And look at verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? A a deep brokenness over sin. This is not a, well, I made a mistake. This is not, I showed some poor judgment. This is not, I'm sorry for how things worked out. I'm sorry for what happened. This is a brokenness over your own sinfulness, a deep brokenness. You don't blame your addiction or your upbringing or someone else. This is you sinning against God like David did in uh, the Psalms. I have sinned against you and you only. My sin is ever before me as he's pouring out his heart in repentance toward God. A brokenness over your sin. This is authentic spirituality. Not a covering it up, not a ignoring it, not a saying, well, you know, we uh, <laughs> had a friend years ago who she and her husband were expecting a child before they got married, and then they got married, and, and she was really upset, and she went and she talked to her mom, and, and she wasn't upset that she had engaged in premarital relations, she was upset that she ended up pregnant. But she went to confess it to her mom, which, which was a good thing. 
At least she wasn't going to uh, murder the baby. But she went to confess it to her mom, and she knew her mom was going to be really upset. And her mom said, oh, honey, that happens more often to Christians because they have so much more love to give. That's pseudo-spirituality. Authentic spirituality says love does not behave inappropriately. Now, if we went around the room, we could interview several people in this room who engaged in inappropriate behavior before they were married. But every one of them should recognize it was wrong, and I asked God to forgive me, and he forgave me. And you also have to recognize that sometimes there's consequences that linger. We'll look at that a little more tonight. But there's a deep brokenness over sin, not excusing it, not, well, I'm just a little hot-headed. No, I sinned and expressed myself inappropriately. Not, well, I was just raised that way. Well, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. He's able to overcome the way you were raised and, and empower you to follow the Lord. So don't blame it on somebody else. Accept responsibility for your sin and be broken over it. That's authentic Christianity. And then turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. As a joke, I started to tell you to turn to verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you, but that has nothing to do with this message, so I won't do that, okay? Look in verse 41. Why do you look at the speck or the, the little uh, tiny uh, thorn or the spot or the jot in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank or the beam that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck in your eye when you don't see the plank that's in your own eye? I used to do it with our kids when they were little. I thought they were being hypocritical and judging each other. I'd go, beam moat, beam moat, beam moat. You know, the humor of scripture, there's this plank sticking out of your eye and you're trying to get this tiny little thing out of somebody else's eye. Nitpicking other people without looking at yourself. There's an obedience from the heart in an authentic spirituality. Look what he says, the middle of verse 42. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather thig, figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? See, authentic spirituality has a truth, a commitment to obedience that starts on the inside, and comes on the outside. Now, we're masters at following the law. We're masters at avoiding those big evil things. But the Lord wants us to follow from the heart. Not just to avoid certain things, like 
he says in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, it's great that you haven't murdered anybody. But in my judgment, God's judgment, he says, that hatred in your heart is the same sin as murder. Hey, I'm great that, I'm glad you haven't committed adultery with anyone, but if you've lost it after a woman, that's committing adultery in your heart. And, and he focuses on obedience from the heart. We need to commit ourselves to follow the Lord. That's authentic spirituality. Now, it's not a checklist, rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. I was in church for Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And uh, I, some of you went out on Wednesday night. I was sick. I wasn't able to go out. Uh, but, oh, man, those of you who did, you were super spiritual, right? Well, it depends. Did you go out thinking God can use this to impact people? Were you praying for the people in the houses where you hung something on their door? Were you fussing and grumbling about, oh, it's so hot. I can't go to another house. Oh, this is dumb. I should have stayed home and done my knitting. Um, You don't knit? I don't either. I know some of you knit because you're real nitwits. But anyway, (laughs) authentic spirituality starts on the inside, a heart that's following the Lord. In fact, um, look in uh, James chapter 4. I got ahead of myself there. James chapter 4, we'll we'll go there. Um, Hebrews, then James. Getting close to the end of the Bible. James chapter 4. And this is humility because you're focused on the awesomeness of Christ. Uh, We had a guy's Bible study Friday night. Uh, We met here. Some of us ate, some drank, and some... They drank slim fast, okay? It wasn't anything weird. <laughs> some, some drank their meals, some ate, some didn't. Uh, and, and then we had a Bible study. We watched a couple of videos focusing on uh, how we handle habits and how we handle temptation and how we can get victory over those areas of our life and different kinds of temptations. And one of the passages that he used was here in James chapter 4. And uh, look in James chapter 4. And verse number seven. Well, look at verse number six. Uh, He gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God or draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oh, humility, because you're focusing on the awesomeness of Christ. What we tend to do is what the Bible says, that comparing themselves among themselves, they were not wise. So, uh, you know, when I used to play the trumpet, um, I wasn't very good. I did okay in middle school, and everybody got better in high school but me. And so the band director, uh, his last year of being a band director, I gave him an early gift. I retired from the band before he did. Uh, but uh, some people, they're they're because they're a better musician than that person, so so they're better, or they're better at math than that person. Or uh, we come into Awana and 
some verses are just really challenging to memorize. And I remember in, in Trek one night, I, I said uh, that I was talking to Hunter about a verse that had really been brutal for me. It took me, well, it was three verses in a row, but it took me three weeks to get that down. You know, I said to Hunter, I said, man, I thought those were hard. And then I said to the kids in Trek, I said, and Hunter said, that was easy if you're not stupid. Well, <laughs> Savannah and Hunter were the only two that knew that Hunter didn't really say that. All the other kids went, (gasps) (laughs) But some people think because they can memorize scripture. Did you know that memorizing the word of God is not a sign of authentic spirituality? And we have biblical proof of that. The Pharisees had memorized the entire Pentateuch plus all the rabbinical teachings about the Pentateuch which is like three times the length of the Bible when you put it all together. And they had memorized the whole thing and could quote individual rabbis on individual positions and they still rejected Christ. I think it's helpful to memorize scripture. But it's not necessarily right if your heart's not right. Get your heart right first, and then memorizing scriptures, a good thing. So a humility, because you're focused on the awesomeness of Christ. Even if you are super genius, highest IQ ever recorded among humanity, what are you compared to Jesus? He spoke the stars into existence. He knew the end from the beginning. The scripture said, God knows your thoughts before you even think them. How's that for your IQ? God is awesome and humble yourself before him. And also remember that some of the greatest geniuses in our world have also rejected the Lord. And some of the most brilliant Christians have burned out. They didn't humble themselves before the Lord. They trusted in themselves and they didn't last. Humbleness. And then turn to Philippians, another sign of authentic spirituality. Um, In Luke, we looked at obedience from the heart. And uh, in Philippians chapter 3, we see a passion to know Christ. A passion to know Christ. Uh, It was funny. Tim said he's been involved in camp for 27 years, and somebody asked him if he started there when he was a kid. He did. Um, But but I remember when I first met Tim, uh, Tim started hanging around at our church things. We'd have a youth activity, and there would be Tim. And he'd show up, and and what? Because he just loved being around me. (laughs) Is that why he was around here? No, he loved being around Clorinda. He put up with this church because then he could be by Clorinda, right? That's how it started anyway. And, and he, well, pretty soon they're together all the time. And then they're married. And now they like separate vacations. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. They, that, but as, as you grow, you see people falling in love. You can just see it. Um, we all used to laugh about Benjamin and Meredith, you know, and when they first started sitting together in church, most of the people in the church thought, well, it's about time, you know, and they, they just see them being drawn to each other, and then they're with each other, and then, well, 
there's a passion that we should have for the Lord. And, and when I first started, realized I was in love with Kathy, when we first started dating, I told my best friend, first time I took her out, took her home, went to my best friend's house, told him I was going to marry her, didn't let her in on it for a couple months. Uh, but she, I, I just was in awe of hanging out with her and spending time with her and talking with her. I'd be sitting at the table talking to my parents about Kathy said this and Kathy said that, you know, and, and I actually I dated several Kathys. It took my dad a couple of weeks to figure out I was always talking about the same one. Uh, but it, when your heart is inclined towards someone or something, it spills out, doesn't it? How many of you know somebody who loves NASCAR? Raise your hand. How do you know they love NASCAR? They talk about it. They maybe have posters up. When NASCAR's on television, they, they want you to be quiet in the room so they can hear the rev of the engine. <laughs> you know, and Courtney used to like to walk in front of the TV during a play at a football game. Never during the timeout. Never during the the huddle, always in the middle of the play. And uh, she actually it annoyed her mother as much as me. Kathy's a football nut. But, but listen, authentic spirituality says your love shows up in your life. And your love should be a passion for Christ. Not for Christian things. See, churches have political things going on in churches. They have this group trying to get power over that group and this person trying to have more influence than that person. And that's not authentic spirituality. Uh, Chapter 3, verse number 7. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, What things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and to count them as rubbish or dung. I mean, this translation says rubbish, but it's actually worse than that. Dung, manure. I, that's what, all those things are that. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness is, which is, I'm sorry, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This, this passion to know Christ, authentic spiritual connection with Jesus Christ, Peter wrote the end of his epistle, the last words that he wrote that were preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He wanted us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wants us to, to realize this is the passion of his heart. Paul could have been a great military strategist. He could have been a brilliant business leader. He was fluent in multiple languages, traveled around the world. He could have uh, 
been in charge of big things that human beings would talk about for centuries of, uh, of this great genius Paul, like they talk about the genius of Leonardo da Vinci. But Paul made a choice that Leonardo da Vinci did not. Paul centered his life around Jesus Christ, and he trusted Christ, and he wanted to know Christ. He had a passion for Christ. I'm baffled by people who say, well, I'm a believer, but I don't go to church. Jesus said, this is his body. This group of believers are his body. How can you be authentic in passion for Christ and not care about his body? It it comes together. Now, I realize there's some so-called churches out there that are really bad. But we try and get in the best one we can find. And we follow Christ with our heart. A passion to know him, to connect with him, to pursue him, and to his dying day. That's what Paul said. He said, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, whether I live or whether I die, I live for the Lord or I die for the Lord. I want Christ to be exalted. That was his focus. A passion for Christ, and then turn to Galatians chapter 5. One last turn. The book right before Ephesians, Philippians, go backward. Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians chapter 5. Paul said not only did he have a passion for Christ, but he had a passion for loving and serving others. Chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. What does authentic Christianity look like? Well, a deep brokenness over your sin, obedience from your heart, humility for the awesomeness of who God is, a passion to really know the Lord and connect with him, and a love. And, and a desire to serve people. I had a, a church uh, was asking me to help them look for a pastor some years ago. And they got a bunch of resumes in, several hundred of them actually. And as they were going through these resumes, um, they came across this one from this guy and he said, uh, I preach the word of God and I pray. I don't visit, I don't do hospital visits, I don't do counseling, I preach the word of God and I pray. And he was said, he was modeling it after the apostles in Acts 6. That's not after the apostles, for one thing, that wasn't, he didn't adequately express their heart. And for another, he's not an apostle. The apostles died when John died. He was just going to serve as a pastor, a shepherd. And so they asked me, what should we do with this one? And I said, throw it away. It's not even worth recycling that one. (laughs) If you don't have a heart for the Lord, you don't have authentic spirituality. You can come to church. You can have a Bible with your name in gold on the cover. But you're not spiritual unless your heart's right before the Lord. In fact, in the Gospels, it talked about people who had memorized large passages of Scripture who could quote it 
and, and dissect it. And, and they had long prayers to God. And they gave money generously to God. And those people, the Lord said, they were on their way to hell because they had not been broken for their own sin and asked forgiveness. They were trusting their own righteousness instead of receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you could be here this morning and you could have been in church for years and years, but you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you need to do that. You need to ask him to forgive your sins and be your Savior. And he will. And maybe you've been in church for years, but you you don't have a passion for Christ. You get up and you come to church because it's Sunday. Not because you get to meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ and have a mini family reunion before heaven. And you get to gather together and focus on Christ with like-minded people, with joy. Uh, maybe you just came because it's Sunday and that's sort of what you do on Sunday. God doesn't just want your time or your money. He wants your heart. He wants you to connect with him deep on the inside and have it affect every part of you. You know, every time I finish preaching a message, I'm always aware of the fact that the easy part's done. Now's the hard part. We have to live what this word says. We have to allow our hearts to be changed, our lives, our values, to reflect his life and his values. So this morning, there's a particular song I wanted Benjamin to sing, and he's going to come and sing this song. And as he does, listen to the words of this song and think about your response and responsibility to the Lord.